0: All right. Throw somebody else in the hot seat now for this hour.
1: Jim Wood. It's really not that hot. It's just it's about normal room temperature. But...
0: That's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> Better than your than your twisted sister joke. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, uh, like, what is he talking about? Well, you have to be here between the breaks, you know, to to catch all of the funny stuff that goes on around this place. Okay, so, Jim, um, I think, you know, what I want to do is let's just get down and dirty in the philosophy, not dirty, but just in the philosophy, Uh, you know, so you and I come from backgrounds that in different parts of the investing industry and the investing industry can be quite vast indeed. What was your like very very beginning first jump into the industry? What were you doing and how did you end up in the financial industry? How many years ago?
1: 25.
0: 25 years ago. So yeah. so what 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 part of the industry did you jump into, and how did you end up in it in the first place?
1: Well, sure, I was I was doing agricultural research, believe it or not, for University of California Davis, and um, I was walking in fields. I was doing Excel spreadsheets. I was counting bugs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my goodness, this is funny. I've got to hear this story. Yeah. And, so you know, uh, I'm thinking
1: plants growing. There's something like
0: maybe I can get money to grow instead and do that for a living. Or but no.
1: Yeah, what? well, I mean, I had, I had a biology degree. I have a biology degree. Um, so I was kind of interested in science in general, and that just seemed to be where my studies led me at the time. But um, I was kind of, I was just saying, hey, I need to make a change. I was out in the fields in a t-shirt and shorts, and I wasn't meeting anybody. And
0: getting bit by bugs. Yeah,
1: I was eating <laughs> <a> the <lot>. wild. right? <laughs> and so I just needed to make a change. And I had a friend who worked for a broker-dealer and was doing well at it. And so I thought, well, maybe you know, I could probably do that. So I went and interviewed, and you know, down the road. Um, so what, up... what?
0: I got to know what? What was it? A small firm, big firm? What, no, it was a big company. What, what insurance company, company. Was it? it? Was um, Lincoln what, what, Financial? Okay, so Lincoln big 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 insurance company. Company. Lincoln Financial, they were at a lot of the different uh, you know, things that we had out there. Okay, so very familiar. They had a lot of variable products, variable annuities, uh, variable life insurance products, those types of things.
1: Yeah, as an insurance company, Lincoln had a lot of the products you mentioned. At the time, they also had a mutual fund company, which was Delaware. They, they've since sold it. But uh, uh,
0: Okay, yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember Delaware investment. You know, it's funny because I was talking to somebody the other day, and he was a young guy. And he was talking about all these videos out there about how you can kind of beat the government at their own game and and you know you need this you know for tax-free income in the future and i go oh no 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 don't tell me don't tell me it's it's life insurance isn't it and he goes yeah and and i said oh my goodness i said are you kidding he says, oh yeah there are a ton of videos out there uh, TikTok and and Instagram and, and all of these different places, where you have videos where the, these young kids are telling people this is how you invest. You need this in order because here's what's what's going on. And here's how it works, and you can have tax free income, and it runs under the radar, and you protect yourself. And I said creditor protected. Oh, yeah, I'm sure creditor protected. All of those types of things, but you know here is the wave of that. This is how rich people invest is what they were saying and i said you know what man i'm going to tell you something this young kid in his 20s i said that information is well over 30 years old there is nothing new about that and it has been so thoroughly discredited that i can't believe that people are still doing it. i talked about here's the problem with it here is what actually happens here is how the internal costs actually work here's how tax law works when that thing blows up on you and it was two, two young people, as a matter of fact, both of them are in their 20s, and they're telling me about this. And I'm telling them, they're going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. Why don't these people know that? And so, well, not, neither do we when they were, we were their age.
1: Right. Well, and that stuff comes around time. Every few years, it pops up in some form or another. I know you've talked about it on the show multiple times, but, you know, The Well Secrets of Walt Disney.
0: Yes. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and something mm-hmm. like
1: that. And so that stuff. And and there are very good uses for life insurance, both term. There's good uses for permanent and things and, like and that. And in
0: some, some estate planning right. circumstances, yeah. a permanent policy. Because some, some people say never, 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 never have permanent insurance. And I will say, well, no, not exactly. Don't ever, uh, well, almost don't ever say never something.
1: Yeah, you know? but being sold as your tax-free retirement plan, that isn't. Yeah,
0: One of the, yeah, the yeah the that's not uses. that's not a good idea. So yeah. that's how you ended up in the industry,
1: right? So yeah, I, I, yeah, and I just had a friend, and then you know worked with that, and then you know got my series six so I could sell mutual funds, got my series seven so I could sell stocks, got my insurance license so I could sell insurance products and things like that. And then, you know, the broker dealer basically said, here's the lineup of products. We have selling agreements with American funds and mass mutual. And of course we have Lincoln products and we have all these. And then my job was to represent that company in the sale of products to the public. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I was taught. I was taught how to move products. What I wasn't taught was, you know, how does this stuff actually work? What's the act, you know, what's the academic side of investing? Was, you know, what's passive management versus active management? Uh, you know, that learning mm-hmm. all that stuff, I had to learn on my own because it wasn't that part wasn't lined up with what the company wanted to do. The company as company should wants to be profitable and there's nothing wrong with that, but that can certainly give the wrong incentives to the advisor when he's dealing with the public. So the
0: way I explain this to people is I will use the example of having grown up in, grown up in a small town and around the corner from my parents' house was a Ford, this really dates me, Ford Lincoln Mercury dealer was what <laughs> they had. And, you know, it's like, Mercury, what? Uh, so, you know, in that, if you went on that car lot, you chose between a Ford... A car, a Lincoln, uh, they sold some of those. They had Mercury's. And, you know, if I wanted a Toyota, I was out of luck. I mean, I don't even know if they had used, well, Toyota wasn't much of a company back then uh, when I grew up. But, um, but, you know, because if it was made in Japan, it was junk. Remember when we grew up, that's basically what it was.
1: Well, my, my first truck, my first car, my first vehicle was a Toyota Hilux truck. Which oh my. it had this it was funny because it had these little um turn signals that stuck up from the hood and so the actual it looked like shrek from you know <laughs> it's, it's the the shadow um but another thing what's funny That's about hilarious about the toyota hilux is it's a favorite of terrorist groups in the middle east i mean because they're they were very reliable and they would just run forever even in the desert you know? that is a hoot so you know what
0: happened was you know when you went to went into that car lot, Those were, you were going to get those choices. Well, what was going on for me is to give you the Reader's Digest version. I was working for this broker-dealer. The broker-dealer wasn't doing well. They were getting sued, and I was actually having to change jobs. We were going to have to leave them, and the lady that was actually their chief compliance officer said, Paul, what are you going to do? Because she and I became really good friends. And I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. Beth, what are you going to do? She said, well, I got to go work for another broker-dealer, another investment firm. And you know, when I say broker-dealer, I think Raymond James, Edward Jones, uh, Merrill Lynch, uh, You know, who else? I mean, good grief, uh, thinking about other companies that you might run into as broker-dealers um you know lincoln uh, morgan stanley Stanley, thank you uh, ubs there you go okay so those are some other ones that you'd see out there so you know she's i have to go to work for another broker dealer and i said oh okay and and she says what are you gonna do and i says i don't know she says well you know you have never seemed to be a big person to sell any of the products of our firm i don't know how she how, how she knew so much about me i guess i i guess we were closer friends than i thought we were because she and i would talk on phone all the time and she says you always seem to be outside of the box as in not really liking to be selling the stuff because you didn't you don't really believe in it because of you know the academic work work that you've been doing and i said yeah that's very true and she goes why don't you go set up your own firm and therefore what you are going to do is you're going to be representing the client and not the investment firm. And I said, wow, how do you do that? And she gave me some pointers. And to the credit of the state securities department in Tennessee, they, they actually, there was a guy that was super helpful. Uh, I wonder if he's still there. I, w- I would love to talk to him again, because I just want to thank him profusely for help, helping me set up a company that represented the client and not the investment firms. You know, because you go to a mutual fund company, you go to a Fidelity, Vanguard, T. Roy Price, American Funds, you know, whatever, and it's just magical and, and and miraculous that these companies their their products are the best. And I just didn't want to be in that trap. I started in that. I started with, a, with an insurance co- company, Metropolitan Life Insurance Company. I worked for Mass Mutual, and it was just magical how their products were always the best and it it was i felt like i was drinking the kool-aid when i went to meetings because it was like we got the best we got the best this we got the best that and you know when i when i got outside of working for the company I realized, no, they didn't have the best stuff. So I'm sure that you can relate to that completely, Jim, you know, from your experience.
1: Well, absolutely, and I, I think what you just said really resonated in terms of you just started and you definitely drink the Kool-Aid. Said, okay, I'm, this is great. I have all this great stuff and I'm gonna go sell all this great stuff. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is over time, I'm a very analytical person. Mm-hmm. And so I would study and then, you know, these kind of numbers don't really work like they say they do or, yeah, you, you know, If you understand
0: we're, we're, a nucleus, man, I'm I mean, you're, you're a biology degree, for Christ's sakes. Yeah, you're very analytical.
1: Yeah, you know, let's discuss the Krebs cycle. <laughs> no, let's um, not. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it really made me, uh, well, I wasn't the great the greatest salesperson because, uh, you know, if I, okay, this is how you're supposed to talk about it, but I would see holes in that. Mm-hmm. So, wow, this really isn't, you know, I'm just telling them a half truth They're not giving them all the info and that. I just never felt great about so much of the stuff I was asked to sell and that I was rewarded for selling. So, you know, it, it just got worse and worse over time. And then finally going through 2008 and 2009, just seeing portfolios getting decimated, not having a good answer for mm-hmm. people on what I was doing and why, other than it's what the company wanted me to do. Right is when I really started studying, oh, I need to to look at investments from information that doesn't come from my company.
0: And, And, you know, I remember going to a thing that was even outside of the industry, but my company strongly recommended it. And here's what they did. When they were explaining, and this is a misunderstanding people to this day still have about the tax policy, but I'm telling you the financial advisors were getting this messed up. But what they did is this. They did analysis of investments like Roth IRAs quite often are misanalyzed this way and life insurance as an investment. This is how they make it look good. They look at the the tax code as in what's your tax bracket? 24% uh you know what's your tax bracket uh 12% or 37% or 35% or whatever and you assume that your all of your income is taxed at that partic- that particular percentage when in reality it's graduated your first income that you earn is taxed at zero next income if you earn a little bit more than that threshold which is you know coming up on about 30,000 if you're married any income for the next 20000 of income is taxed at 10%, so the first income is always taxed at zero, the next income always at 10, then the next income above that at 12, and then 22, and then 24, and then on up to 37. Well, what happened was that they would do this analysis to make the product look good based on it just being a single tax bracket all the way through. And this is one of the things that I would look at and I would go, no, wait a minute, there's something really wrong with this. And this is why, quite often, I think the advisor is convinced that what they're telling you to do is right because they misunderstand. Uh, that's just one example of the way they misunderstand tax code, but that is very common.
1: Well, that, you know, and you kind of on the cherry picking idea too, I remember seeing illustrations for life insurance and annuities and things, a uh, variable life insurance that had mutual fund-like sub-accounts. Mm-hmm. And so the illustrations always seemed to be done with the funds that had performed the best. So you're mm-hmm. rather than, you know, what's this is likely to do with a diversified portfolio of all these different funds, is like, well, this fund has a really good track record, so that's the one I'm going to use. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And frequently that was the illustration, again, to kind of make it look really good. And if you use that in the past, it probably would have worked okay, but that totally told you nothing about what it was likely to do in the future.
0: That's exactly right. So that quite often what I will do with people is I'll say, okay, you've got a bunch of mutual funds. You've got a list of mutual funds. Here are all the names. And then right over here, you got the three-year returns, the five-year returns, the 10-year returns. Left to your own devices, what are you going to select? And I'll shut up. And then they'll, they'll go, uh, the ones that had the best returns. And I said, okay, great. You know, just keep that in the back in mind. That's what you're gonna do. Okay, so what are the rules of investing? And they'll say, I don't know the rules. You're the financial guy. And I said, No, no, no. If you don't have any inkling of the rules, I said, stop thinking too hard about this. If you think you don't know, you know. What are the rules of investing? Just really simple. Just don't overthink. And they'll they'll go, <laughs> buy low, sell high. And I'll go, nice job. Yes, you have hit the first rule of investing. Beautiful, buy low and I'll write it, sell high. What's the next rule of investing? I don't know. And I said, Oh, well, do you put all your eggs in one basket? No. And so, what, what do you call that? Diversify. Perfect, write that down. Now, what's the next rule of investing? I don't know, do you buy and sell and buy and sell, jump in, jump out? No, 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 don't time the market. Okay, here's it, here's the deal. You just gave me the rules of investing three of them. Bonds are there for what? And they'll say, uh, okay, are stocks or bonds riskier? Well, stocks are riskier. Beautiful. So bonds are there for what? They'll say, a safety? And I go, perfect stability. Yeah, perfect. That works. All right. So what I like to do, and, and this is really key to helping somebody make the decision that there's a problem is what are the rules as you know them to be? Buy low, sell high. Now, if you're doing what Jim just said, you're buying something on track record because that's invariably what they come back to. You say, I got a list of funds. Here's the three-year returns. Here are the five-year returns. You're invariably going to buy the funds that had the better returns because your instincts tell you to go toward pleasure. Stay away from pain. Then what happens is this. You buy those funds, and what do we know when looking at stock market charts? They go up and they go down, up and down. You're buying after something has gone what? Up. What followed up? (laughs) Down many times. So what happens is you often buy high. You've broken that first rule, buy low, sell high. The second rule, if you are buying things that have just done well, you're owning many funds that own the stocks that happen to be the stocks that happen to have done well in the most recent three and five year period. So what are you doing? You're buying high and you're also not diversifying. There are two rules that are broken. What's another rule? We talked about not buying and selling because what do you do? You're like going, oh, crud, I bought this thing and it didn't do as well as I thought it was going to do. I need to get rid of it and I need to buy the other fund over here. And what are you doing there? Not buying and hanging on. Now, you know, there are reasons that you do trades inside of a portfolio, but these are three right here. And then when you look at the bonds, and you see that they're low-rated bonds, double B, single B-rated bonds, or that they have really, really long durations. you know, And you're looking at that, and you're going, oh, my goodness. Now I got four rules of investing that I said, and this is the client speaking, that they said are rules of investing and i'm finding i'm breaking them what do we call that in psychology we call that cognitive dissonance when i have cognitive dissonance guess what i what happens to me as a human i start to go i got to change i can't do this this doesn't make sense And then we end up making a change. But this is why I think it's so important to approach somebody in this particular manner. Because if I can get you following what you know to be true about investing, then we have congruence in my thinking and my actions. That's the deal right there. Jim, what were you, you were kind of thinking I could see the steam coming out of your ears.
1: Well, I just said the fact that we are hardwired to be failed investors. Because the way we learn is from past performance, whether it's put your hand on the hot stove, you learn not mm-hmm. to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, we want to move to towards pleasure. If ice cream tastes good, hey, that's a, I want to have some I'll more ice cream. M- yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. past performance, if we're going to hire an employee, we look at the resume, job experience, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So a past performance works well in almost all areas of life, but it works horribly. It's absolutely- oh, It's abysmal. It doesn't work. It's in every advertisement. Past performance does not equal future results.
0: Right. Exactly. And then, that, unfortunately, what we do is we take what works in other areas and apply it to investing and it doesn't work very well. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one.